Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning, everybody at home. It is wonderful to see you all here again today. Now, we have just finished doing a series in 1 Thessalonians, and I pray that it has been an encouragement to you, that these messages of encouragement may have established or helped establish you in your relationship with Jesus. That like the Thessalonian church, you are encouraged in your identity in Jesus, in your vision for Jesus, and in your action as you live by his spirit. As we looked over the past several weeks, that you are encouraged to live godly, that you are encouraged to persevere, that you are encouraged to please God, that you are encouraged through preparation as you look at the final instructions that Paul gives in chapter 5 and as shared last week, that you are encouraged in the will of God. Now, I wanted today to look at a specific encouragement once again from 1 Thessalonians and it's from a passage that I skipped a couple of weeks ago. And the reason why I skipped it a couple of weeks ago is because it is an encouragement that expands one's field of vision and grants the ability to look beyond your current situation at the bigger picture of God's plan. I, I, it's an encouragement that can establish one's resolve regardless of the obstacles or the trials that you may encounter in life. And it's an encouragement that can ignite a fire of enthusiasm as one comes to understand the ways and workings of God in the world. That encouragement is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, right through to chapter 5, verse 5. And what is this encouragement that can do all of these things? It is the encouragement... Of the Lord's return, the encouragement that our Savior is coming back. Much like a child that you drop off at daycare, and often the child will ask, When are you coming back? When are you coming back? And he says, I'll be back at the end of the day when I finish doing what I'm doing. And, and the child will mark off his routine throughout that day have morning tea, have a nap, get up, play, have lunch. Every single stepping stone a little bit closer to the return of that parent. Maybe an afternoon nap, maybe afternoon tea, maybe afternoon play. Three o'clock hits, then the kids that are doing after-school care from primary school come over and sit in there as well. And for that child that's waiting knows, the school kids are here, my mum or dad will be back soon. Much like a child that is expectantly waiting for their parent's return, we too are to keep our eyes on things that are taking place around us and being aware of our, our Lord's return as well. He promised his disciples he would return himself when he said to them in John chapter 14, verse, uh, verse 3, he says that where he is, there they will be also. At the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 1, verse 11 while the disciples were looking at their Lord ascending to heaven, two angels appeared and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? 
This same Jesus who was being taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Or even the Lord's public presentation to the world when he comes to reign in Matthew 24, 27. For as the lightning comes from the east, sorry, as the lightning comes from the east, it's visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. In the light of the Lord's return, Paul very precisely in his teaching and in his encouragement in this letter, he does so by, yeah, he does by encouraging them in the way they should live, but he does it in the context of the Lord's guaranteed return. And so today, we're going to look at this chunky passage, and I was, I was contemplating whether to look at this whole passage in one hit and give you three points. I've decided instead to give you one point over three weeks. So it's three messages from this one thing. Why? Because there is so much here that I want us to be able to look at and to be able to work through. So we're going to open in a word of prayer, and I haven't asked Nick this, but Nick's going to bring the reading to you, to you this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. So, okay, let's open a word of prayer now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for the privilege we have now to look into your word and to be informed, to be aware, to be able to recognize your hand at work even in the world today. We thank you that you are a sovereign God and we ask that by your sovereign hand you will minister to our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Not yet, Nick. So... <laughs> Sorry, bro. Yeah, I, I just realized something here. But think about it. 2020. 2020 has been a horrible year. It has been a horrible year. It has been a year where restrictions were placed on our way of life, where steps were taken, and in some cases, even too far for our health and our safety. It's a year where I think the major theme was that of loss. It was loss. We had loss of possessions. We had loss of income. We had loss of careers, loss of health, loss of, of even our own individual freedoms. And the most devastating of all for some of us, we've had loss of life due to what's going on in COVID and just life in general. But as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a child of God, because we belong to him, of all things, we are the people who have hope in loss. We have been given hope in loss. And as we work through today's passage, that's the theme I want us to concentrate on as we look at the truths that Paul has outlined for us and how we as God's children can discover that hope, even though we may have lost. I want to invite my brother Nick up, if he can come up and read. Put your hands together for our brother Nick, please. Uh, verses 13 to 15 of chapter 4. Thank you. Yep. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you, you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, 
would certainly not perceive those who would fall asleep. Thank you very much, Nick. Now, why can Christians be hopeful? Why can Christians be full of hope even in the midst of tragedy? Why can the believer continue to believe when difficulty is faced? Why can the children of God find comfort in hardship, perseverance in trial, and peace in chaos? And this is revealed in the first few words of this verse, which is the first point that I want to make known to you today. And that is being informed. Being informed. He says at the beginning of the verse, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. Paul seeks to encourage the believers in the context that they faced. He wanted them to be in the know. He wanted them to be informed regarding the ways and the works of God, which we are told in the Scriptures are far higher than ours. As high as the heavens are from the earth, so are his thoughts higher than our thoughts and his ways higher than our ways. He wanted us to be informed regarding the way God works and the works that God works. You see, one of the biggest condemnations for the Christians today, the Christian or church of the 21st century, is that of ignorance. And I, I mean no disrespect to anybody here or to anybody watching at home, but for a lot of us, as, as, as we profess to be Christians, we are biblically illiterate. We are ignorant of what God is doing and the way God is doing especially when we claim, as followers of Christ, to have the answers to life, to have the answer to the contentment of life, to have the answer to the purpose of life, to have the answer to our direction in life. Yet we are, as the Scriptures teach, we are not really ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us with meekness and fear, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. To say, I don't know, when God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness is a line that doesn't really cut it when I try to justify my acts or to shift my personal responsibility that I have to him, that I have to my Lord and Saviour. See, Paul writes here, we don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be out of the loop. We don't want you to be clueless as to what God is doing. And the truth is, we don't have to be. We don't have to be. We have, within the pages of Scripture, a very clear insight into what he is doing and to how he is constantly. And what's more, Paul's expression here, Paul's desire here, is the exact same desire that the Lord Jesus had as well. We read in, in John chapter 15, verse 15, when he shares with his disciples, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. I've made known these things to you. It is the heart of God in sharing with Abraham what he was going to be doing in his future judgment of, of uh, Sodom in Genesis 18:17, he actually says, "Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do?" 
as well as the heart of God in calling Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 10, you have these statements. I have seen their misery in verse 7. I will rescue them from their oppressors in verse 8. I have seen their oppression in verse 9. And then he says this in verse 10. I am sending you. He makes people known as to what he's doing, as to how he's doing it. And what's even more, he makes known the individual's role in that. How privileged a position that is. I mean, I, I, I've never worked in a big corporation or big business like a lot of you guys here. I look at Ali and I look at Chris. I mean, I went and had dinner with the CEO of a company, uh, done a lunch, sorry. Had a lunch with the CEO of a, of a, of a business recently. His name's Jimmy Lee. And I don't know why people laugh, but, you know, it, as CEO. But you know what I mean? I, walk, I walked into there, and the confidence of knowing that I had the ear of the CEO and just listening to him and, and talking with him, it was quite a privileged position to be in the know about his business, which he told me nothing about. <laughs> but this is the blessing that we've been given. We have the ear of the creator of the universe. And the creator of the universe desires to impart to us information as to what he's doing and to how he's doing it. It may not actually be when he's going to do it, because he works according to his plan and his time to move it. Here's the situation. He desires his people to be informed. He wants to let us know. Even with the Apostle Paul and his calling, with Ananias, when he explained to Ananias as he was praying what he desired to use Paul for, to reach out and make an impact for the gospel. He made Ananias known of this. And the thing is, we have been given this information. We've been informed by the creator of the universe, even in our loss. Regardless of whatever it is we're going through, in our loss, we can have hope. That from within the pages of scripture, we hold in our hands the blessing of being informed of all the things that God is doing in our lives personally and uniquely. And in this case here, as he's talking about in verse 13, he's looking or informing us of death. He says this as we carry on in verse 13. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. There is a major difference in how we view death to how others view death as well. For some worldviews, death is merely a stepping stone in the cycle of reincarnation. For others, death is the end. That's it. You cease to exist. For, for others, or for us, it is the doorway into another existence with your choices in this lifetime determining where you spend your eternal existence. The eternal security in heaven or eternal damnation and eternal judgment in hell. That is why the question that Pilate puts forward to the crowd in Matthew 27, 22 is a question that has to be answered by everybody that is existing here. He says this in verse 22, What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? That is the question that is posed to every person on this planet. And the way that question is answered will determine where you spend eternity. Whether in his presence or far from it. What will you do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Paul refers to death here as a state of sleep. 
It's a, a temporary state, a state from which one can arise from. So in other words, for the Christian, death is not the end. It is not the be-all and end-all. We are, we are given by Jesus the greatest of promises regarding one's view of death. And if you remember, death was not a part of God's original design. It was not part of his intended design. It was never part of that. We are told that as the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord in Romans 6.23. But we read this. We read of these promises about death and that, that state that we have or our view of what death is, should I say, when Jesus says things like this in John 14.19, Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 and 56. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin. Oh, sorry, the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 1.18. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death. And hell. And lastly, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, the second death and hell, or Hades, were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. You have what death is, but you also have, or as a Christian, the security of knowing that he who holds death in his hands. Death for us is a part of life because it moves us from one state of existence into another. Now, I grieved at the passing of my mum in 2016. I grieved at the passing of my dad in 2020, earlier this year. There were tears of pain, there were tears of sorrow, there were tears of grief, there were tears of loss, there were tears of sadness at those passings when death separated me from my parents and from my relationship with them. But my grief and my sorrow, my hurt and my pain, my sadness and my tears were only short-lived. You know why they're only short-lived? Because my mum and my dad had trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. My mum and dad had committed their eternal destiny to him, which means that I will see my mum and dad again. That means that while there's death, death now is a separation from them in person. But when I go to be with the Lord, I'm going to worship my God with my mum and dad. That is the hope that I have been given in that loss that I've experienced. The hope that looks beyond death. The hope that looks beyond this life. And looks to the life for which God has desired us to have. That by his spirit, he has secured their, de his, sorry, their destiny as a son and as a daughter of the Most High. John 1.12, for as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons and daughters of God. That is why at the end of that verse it says, Do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. There is a massive difference between going to a funeral of someone who knows Christ and someone who doesn't. There is a massive difference. I went to a farewell, to a funeral. Now, that's why I like to call funerals farewells, because I know I'll be seeing them again. 
But I went to a farewell that was absolutely amazing. And for want of a better word, it was one of the funnest funerals I've been to. It was a, a woman who had, who had served God faithfully in a ministry as a, as a clown. And she shared the gospel by being a clown. And her last dying wish was that her farewell would not be somber. No one was allowed to wear dark clothes. You had to wear bright clothes. It was set up like a circus. And it was like everyone was laughing and cheering. And sure, the family was sad, but it was like, wow, this is a celebration of a life lived in honor of God. See, we have that privilege to not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. See, because I have hope, I have the comfort and I have the assurance that I will see those loved ones again. Why? Because they knew Jesus. That is the comfort we can take. And that is why it's important for you and I to be informed, to be in the know. Because when we are in the know, then we can be assured be assured in verse 14. See, one of the benefits of being informed is to have the added comfort of being assured as well. Because we read in the following verse, in verse 14, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That part where it says Jesus rose again is very important. Because for everything that Jesus taught, everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus claimed, whilst he was here on earth, is bought, I guess you could say, or is validated or is authenticated by his resurrection from the dead. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, we read how he was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. The fact that he rose again, the fact that the tomb is empty, gave legitimacy to everything that Jesus claimed. And because that gives everything that Jesus claimed legitimacy, we then can take comfort in that same truth. Because we read about what Jesus did in 1 Corinthians 15, starting from verse 2, uh, sorry, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. This is what Jesus has done. This is what gives us assurance in our existence even now. That being aware of what he has done, we can also be confident on what he is going to be doing. Because it says in verse 14, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, I used to run a campsite. And before, it's really interesting that when you run a campsite, there's a whole bunch of little things that need to be going on. Now, I'm not an office person. I don't like being in an office. I, I, I like to be outside. I like to do things outside. I like to see things practically and stuff. But often when you're doing stuff at a campsite, there's a lot of oh, just logistics, paperwork, things that need to be signed, things that need to be done, things that need to be repaired. And often people who aren't in the office don't know what's going on. And they'll make a complaint or they'll make an issue or they'll raise an issue. And you think, okay, I'm on top of that, I'm on top of that, I'm on top of that. But what they don't know is that I am actually working. 
there is stuff that I'm actually doing. I mean, once again, go back to Jimmy. I mean, I'm sure his employees are wondering what's going on. Jimmy's working, even though others may... Okay, Jimmy's smiling when I'm saying this, so I'm now worried. Jimmy may be working. <laughs> Jimmy might be doing something. But just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. That's the reality. Our God is constantly at work. Whether we see it or not, whether we know it or not. When he returns in all his glory for all the world to see, he will be accompanied by his armies. He will be accompanied by his saints. You read that in Revelation 19, verse verse 8. And we need to be awake and aware that whilst we may not be seeing anything happening, God is still moving. Case in point, over in the U.S., they've just had the election. And from the look of it, they now have Joe Biden. Now, I'm not a political man. I'm not anything like this. But it looks like Joe Biden is going to be the new president of the United States. Do I like that guy? No. Not really. But here's the thing. If we are told in Scripture that God is sovereign and that God is the one who appoints leaders of various nations, whether they are for him or not, tells me this. God is doing something. God is working. God is moving, and it's up up to us as the church to be informed of God's will, even in an act like this. That we be prepared and be assured that God's hand is in every aspect of life, whether good or whether bad, he is the one that is in control. He is the one that is in charge. Look at Joseph. Go back to Genesis. Look at Joseph. When Joseph was in the well, about to be sold to slavery by his brothers, Joseph had no idea, had no idea that God was going to take him from there and use him as a vessel by which two nations could be saved, Egypt and Israel. Look at Esther. This beautiful woman who ended up being the wife of king had no idea that she was going to be used by God to save her, her people from complete destruction. Look, look at the writings of Paul. I reckon that when Paul was writing all of these things, even now, he had no idea that 2,000 years later, God would be using the letters that he wrote to various people and to various churches to minister and influence lives for the kingdom of God. I reckon he had no idea. Which means this, that your acts as you continue to serve God faithfully as a parent, as a CEO of a company, as a teacher, as a doctor, and whatever role that you may actually have, you may have, you have no idea, you have no idea of how God could be using that and the lives of other people to glorify Him and to bring others to know Him. I remember getting an email, this is years ago, an email of a lady, this girl, she sent me one and said, Thank you so much for you and your wife and the influence that you had in my life. And she'd become a Christian and she'd be serving faithfully. And I was like, Wow, who is this person? I had no idea who she was. I, I, I asked somebody else, I, and they said, I remember her. She's this girl. Yeah, I still have no idea. But you see, you have no idea of what God would do as you continue to serve him faithfully, being about what it is that God has called you to do, the, the, the gospel tract that you give out, the, the act of kindness when you come along somebody, the comforting shoulder that you provide, the, the play, that they all play a major part in the, in the building of the kingdom of God. 
You have no idea of what God can do. That's why I like what Jesus says in Matthew 25, verses 35 to 40, when he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The blessing, the blessing of being in the know, of being informed of God's will, provides with it also the blessing of being assured that he is working of being assured that he is moving, that being assured that he is bringing to fruition his plan in your life and in the lives of those around you. See, of knowing of him doing that thing, whether you see it or not, of, of working, whether you see it or not, means also then for you and I, we are to be patient. Be patient. Now, one of my children is, is, is very impatient, and I'm not going to name any names, but one of these people are very patient in my family, and when they ask for something, it's, and like, I, I understand, it's important, it needs to be done, but often, it needs to be done straight away, like straight away. And like, okay, I, I can, but that, it's reflective, it reminds me of, even of me, we like to get things done. I'm waiting on something, let's go now. One of my children, even today, one of my children, even today, was one, one of my children, they always, when it's time to go somewhere, they'll always wait. Okay, we're going to get going now. I'll have a shower now. Okay. And then they'll jump in the shower right when it's time to leave. And you're like, huh. Okay. It's teaching me patience. But I remember when I first became a Christian. When I first became a Christian, my desire was wanting to be with the Lord sooner rather than later. I was like, Lord, I want to, I want to, go, to, be, I want to go to heaven right now. Lord, I want to be with you right now, to be free of, of all this turmoil in the world, to be free of all this hardship that's taking place, to be free of all the, the self-absorption and the self-centeredness of, of the world today. And I don't know even for myself, one of the things I'm really looking forward to, to being in the Lord's presence, is to be free of like this, free of, of the flesh, free of these, these desires and these lusts that I can have for things that are not of God, to be free of that. But, but I am to be patient Whilst I'm waiting for my liberation from this, I am to be patient and to be, be about fulfilling the will of God within the life, with, with, sorry, the will of God in my life. Because I see the part, of, uh, the part of being informed, what it plays here. In the beginning of verse 15, we read this. According to the Lord's word. According to the Lord's word. Once again, there is a reference to the fact that God is working according to his ultimate plan to not only redeem us, but to redeem all of creation. If you read in Romans 8, verses 19 through to 22, you read how creation itself groans and travails as it waits for the Lord's return. That in being informed according to the Lord's word, word we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, sorry, 
that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, so because we are still here, because we remain as witnesses, because we are here, while we are still here, a testimony of God's love and goodness, we are entrusted with this privilege of representing to the Lord Jesus, sorry, representing the Lord Jesus to everybody around us. Therefore, we are to be practically and constructively fulfilling the will of God in each of our lives. As Jono shared last week, to be ceaseless in prayer, to always rejoice, to give thanks in all things, because that is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. To be exhorted, equipped, and reminded of our privilege of being a child, a son, and a daughter of God. Because as the verse ends, we certainly will not precede those who have fallen asleep. As the verse ends there. Now, how does all of this, how does being informed, being assured, and be, being patient play a part in our hope and loss? What does that mean? How does that instill hope and loss? If you have a look at that whole passage, if you read it again in its entirety, okay, I'm going to read it again. One hit, it's up there for you. How he says, We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, we are left until the coming of the Lord. We certainly not proceed, will certainly not pray, proceed those who have fallen asleep. What you'll notice here is that all three points play an essential part in, the, in this passage's understanding and an application. It plays a part and of such hope because to be informed of the way God works means that you view death as something that is not permanent, that is not something to be feared, but something to be embraced because of those who have gone before. Even for us ourselves, we have this promise, as it says in Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. Thus the grave is overcome, the sting of death, which is the law, is rendered powerless, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56. And we can view death as gain, because for us to live is Christ. Philippians 1.29, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We can have such hope and loss because we can be confidently assured that death has been swallowed up in victory. That we are secure in the hand of the Father as promised and, sorry, and promised that in all things that can work together for good to those who love God. That's the promise of Romans 8.28. It is why not only death but loss in general can be viewed with a clarity of vision. And that's difficult. If you've lost something, if you've lost your job, in the midst of that loss, it is difficult to see God's hand. And, and the, if you've lost a loved one, it is difficult to see the hand of God in that loss. If you've lost whatever it might be, if you've lost your health, if you've lost a home, if you've lost a possession, whatever it might be that you've lost, it can be difficult to have hope if you are looking at the wrong things. If you are looking at the job as being your security. 
if you're looking at the possession as being your identity, if you're looking at the relationship as looking at your value, as opposed to looking at those things, we're told we can have hope. Why? Because our hope is not those things. Our hope is the person of Jesus Christ. And he is the one that lasts to eternity. We can be assured because in Jesus Christ we are told that all the promises of God are yes and amen. According to 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. That's why we can be assured. Because our hope is not in something, our hope is in someone. And it's in that someone who reigns. Thus, while we are taking, while such things are taking place, should I say, we can have hope in our circumstances because our circumstances in the here and now are a temporary happening. This is temporal. The job, the loss is temporal. We are told, though, that what happens in the temporal can have an impact in eternity, though. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, I can read, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our light and momentary troubles. I'm not trying to belittle. I'm not trying to play down anything you might be going through right now. I'm not trying to do that. You might be going through some hardship within your marriage. You might be going through some hardship with your children. You might be going through some difficulty with your jobs or whatever. I'm not trying to play that down at all. What I can tell you that according to the scriptures, in, in, in comparison to what we have before us in eternity, this is but light and momentary. And, and what we have awaiting for us in the person of Christ far outweighs all things. That is why Paul, even Paul himself, he shared with the Philippians that he desired to be with the Lord, but his presence with the Philippian church benefited them far greater. He wanted to be with God, but for them was more important that he remain in Philippians 1.23. But we, we are given this wonderful promise of having hope and loss because our hope is the only logical and beneficial step we can take. Because our hope is Jesus. That's it. It's, it can't go any further than that. We have a saviour who knows our heart, that meets our need, that gives us strength. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be informed. Be informed what the Lord's will is. Be assured that our Lord is working and be patient that he will bring about his plans. Because when you look at 1 Thessalonians 5.24, and I want you to remember, I want you to use this as a memory verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 24 says this, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And that, brothers and sisters, is why we need to take comfort in the fact that we can be informed, we can be assured, we be patient because our God is faithful and he will do what he has promised in each of our lives individually and our lives as a church and our lives as the people of God. And with that, I'm going to ask you to be upstanding, bow your heads and we'll close in a word of prayer.
Heavenly Father, as we stand in your presence even now, we thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you for your encouragement that you've imparted to us within the word of God and that we, even in all of the things that take place in the world today, we can find hope because we know you as our God and as our Saviour. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word and that we have all things that pertain unto life and godliness so that we can be informed about what you're doing, about the way you're moving, and about how you're working in each of our lives. Please give us the spiritual senses to recognize that. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us such information so that we might be assured. We are assured of your hand. We are assured of your will. We are assured of your involvement. Thank you that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be patient that we will endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, that we will persevere, that we, Lord, in the power of your Spirit, will endure to the very end, because your Spirit, well, through your Spirit, we can do all things. So we ask for you now to dismiss us. Please take your word and plant it within each of our hearts and bring about change for your glory, for only you can do this. And we commit ourselves to you now and thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much, everybody at home. Have a good day. See you next week.